Welcome, everybody, to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. I'm Dustin Rubio, part of the Limitless Leadership team and youth pastor at City Church Swansea. And I'm Tim Alford, National Director of Limitless and volunteer youth leader at the Source Church Malvern. And this is a conversation designed to help youth leaders connect, think, and grow. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. Sadly, it is just me today because our esteemed co-host, Dustin Rubio, uh, is moving house. And so he won't be here for the next three episodes because obviously it takes three months to move house, not because we record them all on the same day. Uh, That may be sad, but what is not sad and what is very good is that we have Sarah Holmes here with us today. Sarah, welcome to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Tim. Uh, Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what you do. Uh, Right, okay. Um, Well, I currently work in the social care sector um, and have done for the last 20 years or so. Um, I started off uh, many moons ago working in special education. So that's um, a general school setting for um, children and young people who have um, special educational needs. Um, And I realised I did not want to be a teacher quite quickly. So I then made the move into the social care sector, which is obviously providing care and support services for people. Um, and that's where I am still today. Um, so currently I work with um, mainly young adults who are sort of at the top of their their journey through their teens and thinking about next steps into adulthood. Um, and I also work with adults of, of all ages from 18 upwards as well currently. Um, and my job is to go and assess them, look at their needs and to put together a strategy and a support plan for how their needs can be met in different settings. Fantastic. And I'm so, so pleased you're here today, Sarah. I've I've genuinely been looking forward to recording this episode uh, for such a long time because it's so relevant to our our youth workers who who are listening to this. I know it's going to help me even in my own uh, local youth ministry because today we're going to be talking about working with young people with additional needs. Tell us before we define additional needs a little bit also about your experience in uh, in doing uh, working with young people with additional needs in a youth work context. Okay, yeah, that's a good question. I'm really excited too, by the way. Um, yeah, I've been uh, in various different roles over probably over the last ten years or so, working with sort of national Christian events, um, conferences, and uh, festivals and things like that um, in an inclusion role. So um, the role has been to um, coordinate a team of volunteers uh, who are there to support the children and young people who may need additional support to engage in the programme. Um, and that looks like lots of different things depending on the setting. Um, but uh, for the last 10 years, uh, consistently every year, I have been coordinating youth support at New Wine for inclusion. Um, I've also worked at places like Soul Survivor and Spring Harvest as well, uh, doing a very similar role. Fantastic. And I've had the privilege of witnessing some of that firsthand over the last couple of years when when I've been at New Wine. I just think it's so great what you and the team do there. Uh, It just brings a a really special dimension, I think, to the event and seeing how those young people are engaging in a way they wouldn't if you and the team weren't there, I think is, is, is really special. So, Sarah, Uh, define additional needs for us what are we talking about when we say additional needs what do we mean okay it's it's a really useful umbrella term actually um it's nice and broad 
it can be used to describe a whole range of needs from the obvious sort of physical disabilities, um, people who are wheelchair users or have sensory impairments like sight impairment or hearing impairment, uh, through to um, more complex conditions, so people on the autism spectrum uh, who might have social information, sensory processing difficulties, communication difficulties, um, young people with various learning disabilities, um, and also mental health issues as well because mental health diagnosis would also sit under that sort of umbrella term really um, so there's a whole range of additional needs in any youth group or church setting you can guarantee there will be at least one young person who needs some additional support for one reason or another so um, the term is really useful in helping to just um, point point that out to flag that up to signpost it yeah now we've recorded a couple of episodes previously on uh, helping young people with mental health issues. So if you haven't listened to those guys, go back, download those uh, with Helen Cutteridge, really helpful episodes. Um, so what do we mean then by special educational needs? Is that a, a different term to describe the same thing or is that a specific type of additional need or is that a ter terminology that we don't use anymore um, talk, talk, talk to us about that that's a good question um yeah. it tends to be a phrase that's used more in the education sector and i think over the years it's been ado adopted as a kind of general term okay. um it, it, it's, it was used formally to describe students uh, in schools, pupils who needed additional support um, and they would uh, be assessed for that and then they would have something called a statement of ed educational needs um, and that would usually be overseen by somebody called a SENCO, a Special Educational Needs Coordinator within the school setting. So it's a label that's universally understood I suppose but um, moving away from that in the general kind of community context additional needs I would say is is a much more acceptable term to use that's really helpful now um, what I'm thinking about then is is our youth workers in their local churches and they are seeking and striving to be as inclusive as possible for every young person including those with additional needs but they can't be an expert in every kind of additional need and how you address all that one specifically. So for, for a youth worker who may be working with young people uh, who have a variety of different additional needs, some of which you described earlier, how can they best equip themselves to, to pastor, to love, to care for, to include young people with additional needs okay this is quite a big question yes. okay so i'm going to answer it in two parts um my first first part of my answer would be i speak to a lot of youth leaders youth workers volunteers in church youth settings uh, and community youth settings who who would say oh well why do i need to know about that because actually we don't have any young people that have additional needs so so it's not really relevant to our group that's an interesting question because actually, number one, how do you know that you haven't got anybody with additional needs? And number two, do you really want to be inclusive? Because if you want to be inclusive, you need to ensure that you're accessible. And if you're not accessible, you won't get anybody with additional needs coming to your setting because they can't access it. So that's the first part of my answer. So having a general understanding about some really key principles that can help make your setting more accessible is immediately going to mean it, it, it 
opens it up to a lot more people. Mm. Um, it makes it more easy to engage and participate in to a lot more people. Um, and, and it also means that even if you don't have experts within the field in your setting, you're still going to be able to make accommodations and provisions yeah. for some of those young people in a more kind of uh, smooth way, I suppose. Um, there will be times where you need to have some specific knowledge and this is the second part of my answer so I would say for for youth leaders who have young people in their setting who they are aware of who have specific additional needs I would say find out about that find out about that person's particular needs and I'm not just talking about their diagnostic label because we, we hear these labels like autism and Asperger's and Down syndrome and cerebral palsy and you know lots and lots of different descriptive labels for a diagnosis and yes it's useful to have some general information about the condition and understand how it affects people but you need to find out about the person the individual so if you've got a specific young person in your group who you know struggles with certain aspects of being included or joining in participating engaging with the content in your sessions take some time to find out about them okay and what I mean by that is understand what their difficulties are find out about their barriers what are the things that really stop them from participating and engaging and actually use that as your starting point for maybe shaping your program the way that you deliver your content and how you prepare your team of volunteers for for delivering that session to ensure that it works for that young person okay so how do we go about doing that then how do we go about finding out that thing because um, it, it's my experience, at least in the young people I've worked with in, in my own youth group, that oftentimes one of the primary things that their additional need affects is actually their social skills. Um, so to engage with them directly on how can we help you isn't necessarily going to be that helpful. Uh, how would you say, or, or maybe you, maybe I'm wrong, how, how would you say is the best way to find out how not just in general terms, I know everyone's got Google, but it, like in, in personal terms, how we can best uh, help that individual in, in our group. Okay, so I'm going to give you an example from my own church here because right. um, I, I actually, in my own church, am developing um, an additional needs sort of support mechanism within the church. We've got a lot of young people and children with additional needs within our church setting. Um, also, children and young people who've been fostered and adopted. Yeah. Uh, we've got quite a large cohort of those as well. Um, and a lot of those young people have particular difficulties with, with social interaction, uh, with attachment disorder and issues yeah. around that which can affect their behavior um, and a lot of them also have um, difficulty processing information uh, in a group setting that kind of thing so I'm working on this kind of thing in my own church and one of the things I've started with is to actually spend time with the young people in their home settings right. so I've actually been engaging with parents and carers um, I'm spending time gathering some specific information about that young person about how they function at home what are their normal routines how do parents and carers communicate with them how do they put boundaries um, around them behaviorally that help them to um, interact socially in an appropriate way how do they manage uh, communicating key information um, all of that kind of stuff really so a, a really simple way of doing that is is maybe to offer a phone call or a home visit um, just to develop an initial relationship with the parent or carer if the young person doesn't have the capacity to pass on 
detailed information about themselves and their needs yeah. that's a really good place to start um talking to somebody who knows them well and knows their day-to-day routines what 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 does a normal day look like uh where things are going pretty well yeah. what does a bad day look like when things are not going well yeah and um, i guess what are the what are the triggers absolutely are the triggers yeah. yeah um and then you know what works well to help bring that balance back as well so it's no having having those strategies having that little toolkit in your back pocket yeah. um and then having that information that you can kind of use to shape how you deliver your content in your group sessions so that you can maybe avoid some of those triggers or anticipate them when they're going to come up and have a strategy for how you're going to manage it so it's just about a little bit of forward thinking um and um and listening to your experts as well within any church setting within any um you know community group setting you will have experts you will have people that work in education settings who are in a healthcare professional role you yeah. will you know you'll have speech and language therapists you might have nurses uh, ot's you yeah, know yeah. people who know their stuff from a professional context and you can really draw on their knowledge and experience uh, i'm not talking about getting them to come and work one to one every week with a young person that's got additional needs but i'm talking about throwing questions at them you know asking for their advice uh, on a particular scenario to see yeah. if they've got any suggestions that kind of thing yeah. and that that's really helpful as well yeah that's really helpful makes a lot of sense uh, but let me go back a little bit to something you said earlier which is that you talked about there are some kind of general principles which you can employ from the off whether you think you have uh, any young people with additional needs or not in order to make it inclusive can you talk to us about what some of those general key principles might be what are some of the things we can we can do from the off to to make sure we've got an inclusive setting great great question um this i would say this is the the most basic stuff you could do yes. that will help so um to start off with um really simply think about how you communicate um think about the language that you're using um i'm not just talking about swear words and not swear words i'm yeah. talking about um keeping your language clear concise simple um when you're communicating a direction or um a request keep it really concise and simple don't ask three things in the same sentence if yeah. a young person has difficulty processing information they will still be attending to and responding to the first thing you've said when you're on your third or fourth right. you know thing in your sentence so keep your directions clear and simple and repeat them so you know at regular intervals repeat so that people are clear about what you're asking them to do that's that's the first thing um, one thing that's really helpful is to make sure you have some really good visual clues around. So whether that's you're doing a talk um, from a stage to a large group of young people, whether that's in a smaller group context in a maybe like, you know, circle type scenario where you're doing some discussion based stuff, have some visual clues. Uh, young people that struggle with processing um, verbal language, um, their receptive language, if you like, um, it's helpful for them to have some visual clues to hang on to um, that keep keep their brain focused in on processing the information. So um, I don't know if you're referring to a particular Bible passage or um, you're talking about a particular theme, having an icon, a logo, um, something that kind yeah. of uh, depicts, tactile, yeah. Object lesson. Well, well, object even takes it a step further, but yeah. first of all, visually. So I'm talking about, I mean, things that are classic, um, 
really accessible to, to young people at the moment are emoticons, emojis, yes. that kind of thing. Yes. So picking out emojis, for example, that give give a little bit of a visual clue to yeah. what we're conveying. Um, maybe kind of when you're doing a talk, having something in the background that's visual that illustrates what you're saying as well. And also picking out keywords from your theme and, and going back to those keywords repetitively. So like anybody that's been kind of trained in writing talks, sermons, preachers, whatever, um, you know, will go back to their five points or their three points or whatever it is. Um, having in mind what those points are and making them really easy to illustrate visually will help to clue the young people into what you're talking about and then um having having some kind of uh if you like real life examples that that go along with that as well so like you were talking about tactile objects objects are good um if we're using objects to represent an idea we call that objects of reference and that's actually a communication tool that's used in a lot of education settings um so that might be the young person's preferred communication support mechanism anyway but one of the ways that we can bring an idea or a story to life is by having objects that represent elements of that story so that's that's a way that you can bring that in as well yeah Um, so it's it's interesting what what you've said so far because you're talking about kind of clear concise and repetitive uh, communication of of your ideas Uh, you're talking about being visually uh, engaging and visually illustrative of the things that we're discussing and uh, for me these are the things I'm thinking about whenever I'm preparing a a message for any young people not just young people with additional needs this is good stuff yeah it's just across the board stuff yeah just for additional needs this is really good okay so so those are the first two things yeah were there there some others yeah Um, well anybody who's worked in a a kind of a teaching setting if they've worked in a school or done anything around education will be very familiar with a concept called the VAC technique and this is this is just a a general principle that's well known in it's kind of in the teaching sector anything to do with learning really Uh, it works on the principle that our brains learn through um three pathways um so you've got your visual which we've already talked about you've got your audio and you've got your kinesthetic okay, okay? Yep. so that's v-a-k the vac technique for sure technique. if you like so, video, so that's uh, visual uh, audio audio and, and kinesthetic. kinesthetic okay Brilliant. so any good teaching scenario should try to hit all three of those pathways on the principle that we all have a stronger learning style in one of those particular areas. Yes. Some of us are more visual learners. Yeah. Some of us are more audio learners. Yeah. And some of us are more kinesthetic learners. Yes. So breaking that down, if you're a visual learner, you learn by watching. Yeah. Okay. You might learn by reading information um, and digesting swathes and swathes of text and paragraphs and information. You might also learn from, for example, watching videos on YouTube or, you know, watching somebody demonstrate something if you're an audio learner equally you might be somebody like what we're doing today we're recording a podcast you might be somebody that likes to learn from listening so you might absorb a lot of information from sticking a podcast on and you might be doing something else with your hands and your body but you're taking in the information through your audio pathway okay if you're a kinesthetic learner you learn by doing you learn physically so you might watch something being done you might hear somebody give you instructions but the way that your brain learns it is by trying it out 
physically yeah okay so and i'm i'm one of those people um now most people will have an element of all of those pathways in how their brain learns stuff but they'll have a, a leaning if you like yes. or a dominance towards one pathway particularly so if you're delivering a session if you can plan it and think about hitting all three of those pathways in some form during your session hopefully the idea is you're going to hit pretty everybody pretty much everybody in the room yeah. um, and that although that's a general concept for anybody learning what we know about young people with additional needs is a lot of them will have difficulties with neurological processes that that's your brain pathways that's your retaining information your memory that's your processing information um, and your communication as well so um, if you're using the VAC technique hopefully you're going to make it a lot easier for those young people in the room that have those additional difficulties as well because you're going to have something they can hang their learning on if you like um, that's going to help them to remember it and take it away after the session so so really good um, tip for for session planning um, even if it's a game if it's a, a talk or if it's a whole day of content thinking about how you can hit all three of those back pathways well this is just so helpful i feel like i'm learning a lot just having this <laughs> conversation Thank, thanks for this okay so let's just recap those three things yeah. so we talked about clear uh, concise and repetitive communication we talked about uh, kind of visual uh, cues or uh, visual illustration and we talked about the vac technique which was visual audio and kinesthetic learning and considering yeah. all of those things let me ask you this question um if one of the challenges that uh, a young person with a additional need has in our youth group is social engagement and yet almost the whole point of a youth group is social engagement how do we help them to engage socially with the group or should we even try to help them engage socially with with the group and if we should how how do we do that that's a really good question. Um, it's a tricky one. Um, I'd refer back to what I said earlier about getting to know the individual yeah. because you can't apply a blanket rule to this kind of thing. We do know that a lot of people um, on the autism spectrum uh, may have social interaction difficulties. Um, and I'm not going to go into the detail of that here because I could go off on a tangent just talking about that really. Um, but one of the things I would say is um, if you get to know the young person, you'll understand where they're... Um, points of tension are where their difficulties lie and what makes them uncomfortable so it really is about getting to know them as an individual and then working within that kind of boundary of I've, I've, I've got a parameter here I know that I can I can work with a little bit so when you've got a relationship with a young person always start with what's safe and what's familiar and what's comfortable okay uh, if they if they've got an area of special interest something that they like to talk about something that really grabs their attention use that as your starting point and and i always say to people that i'm working with particularly volunteers start with what's safe familiar and comfortable and then stretch a little bit okay. and stretch yeah. a little bit so you you always have an element of the familiar the safe and the comfortable uh, if it's a young person that needs really rigid routine and structure keep the structure there but add in something additional um so it's it's about trying to keep some of that familiar safe comfortable stuff in there to prevent anxiety 
but also stretching a little bit each time. And it might take a very, very long time to stretch a very small, small space uh, in terms of their social development. But actually, consistency in doing that and using the relationship and the things that are safe and comfortable will be what helps them to stretch in terms of their social development. Wow, that's that's so helpful. So we start with the safe, with the familiar, with the comfortable, and then we just once we've from that foundation, from that basis, we just encourage them to stretch, stretch a little, a little bit, bit, to engage yeah. in a in a slightly new way. And maybe if they if they cope with that, yeah, you know, next time we can take it a little bit further and and, and a little bit further. Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'd also say think outside of the box. So um, going to give you an example of a young person I supported at New Wine a couple of years ago. He okay. was a young young man on the autism spectrum, quite quite high functioning intellectually. Um, you know to look at him to speak to him initially you wouldn't pick up that he had any difficulties but um very very awkward with his social interactions and he really didn't enjoy coming into the venue for the main meeting because of the social aspect to it um the need to perhaps turn to your neighbor and share a piece of information or have a conversation about something um you know the idea of getting into a small group and maybe having to have a discussion uh, he struggled with collective worship as well didn't really enjoy that element to it so what we focused on with him was the things he was interested in which was computers which was um very good with software and things like that um very focused on kind of he, he liked to have a role he liked yeah. to have some responsibility yeah. so what we actually did was we set him up as part of the PA team and we had him operating our uh, our computer software which put the words up on the screen in the venue um, and actually that gave him a role gave him a reason to be in the venue and and what we found was you know several days into the week um, he wasn't interested in doing that anymore because he'd become so comfortable in the venue doing his role that he just wanted oh, to be with his brilliant. peers and he yeah. started engaging in the worship then uh, he wasn't coming and sitting separately with the PA team anymore he was sitting with everybody else so something you know with with him what we did was we stretched we, we gave him something that was safe comfortable and familiar yeah. we stretched him a little bit we also we gave him a role because a role is comfortable if you're not comfortable yes. with general social interaction if you're given a clearly defined role or a job or a task that you're responsible for doing you can focus on that it helps to take away the anxiety of the unknown elements of social interaction yeah, and it's almost like you're creating that safe space exactly the space. that's right yeah. so sometimes it's just about thinking looking around your environment looking around your setting um and thinking about how okay how can we create um, a safe space for this young person so they want to come into the venue they want to participate and they feel included yeah but that's really helpful to think about that safe space is not necessarily it's not necessarily a physical space is it the no. the the, the space is uh, a boundary that you have defined almost and that boundary might be a specific role to that's play right, rather yeah. than a specific place to go yeah. that's really really helpful I've, I've got uh, three more questions for you Sarah before our, our, our time is up and um, uh, what what should a youth leader do if you know in the journey of getting to know a young person they begin to suspect that they may have some additional needs of some kind but nobody is is helping them um so that maybe their parents haven't picked it up or, or their mm. school hasn't picked it up but the youth leader just thinks I, i'm noticing some things here and, and i think that this this young person could do with some 
extra help and I think that that would help them in their school life and I think that would help them uh, in their life in general how sh- that's a bit tricky isn't it how should it a youth is leader, should a youth leader try to broach that should they try to engage with with parents in that conversation what, what, what do you think they should do I think that is entirely dependent on whether there has been a relationship established with with the parent or carer in the first place okay. so right going back to the right at the beginning of our conversation when I was talking about offering a telephone call or a home yeah. visit or something um it's really important if you've got a young person who's struggling to participate and needing extra support generally speaking and this is this is a big generalization but generally speaking the young person will be struggling um not just in your setting they will be probably struggling at home and they will be probably struggling at school or college as well um so it's very unlikely that you will be the only person that has picked up on the fact they need some extra support what might be happening is and this is quite common parents or carers don't want to acknowledge that there is a problem right but what is likely to be happening is there will be incidences of school contacting parents on a regular basis because of behavioral issues um, because of refusal to engage in certain things Um, there will be a pattern if you if you if you go looking there will be a pattern Um, and really it comes back to relationship with the parent and carer because you don't have any authority as a a youth worker to um, really trigger that process without going over the heads of the parents or the carers for example to social services uh, or or something like that but the parents are the people who can request the help okay so um, in in terms of a pastoral um, sense forming that relationship that gives you permission if you like to speak into that family's life and into the context of the young person who's struggling gives you the basis to have that conversation with the parents of okay we've really noticed that johnny's having a bit of trouble um it's been happening consistently it's not a problem we're really happy for him to continue coming we're happy to give him the extra support but we've noticed that he's struggling and we wondered if that's going on at home and at school as well and is there anything we can do to support you through that? And that that gives you an opening into, you know, do we need to be saying to school, can we have an assessment to see if we need some additional support in school? Um, it might be the parents are really struggling and they need a break. Um, so is there anything that can be done from that point of view? So it, it just opens up a whole conversation of, you know, what's, what's the bigger picture here? Mm. And what can we do um, in our youth worker or youth leader context to support that Mm. Uh, what I wouldn't suggest or recommend is going off on one without having those conversations first because you could completely get the wrong end of the stick and you could end up in some very sticky situations and conversations Um, so it's always advisable not only that but um, have the backing of your your senior leaders your pastors whoever you're working under you know the person in authority over you um make sure that they're aware that you're wanting to have that conversation as well because you should never be acting independent of um backup if you like from your church and from your your setting where you're working from that's so that's that's so helpful that's so helpful now uh, up to now we have rightly been focusing on that young person with the additional need and how we include them But I want to ask a question that's maybe a slightly controversial one, but I know it's one our youth leaders will be thinking about, and that is uh, what happens when the the need of that young person 
means that within the sessions, it can actually be quite disruptive and it's making it difficult for the other young people to engage. So perhaps they're in a session and they, um, because it affects their social skills, they, uh, they don't know when is the appropriate moment to be in conversation and when is the appropriate moment to be silent and they're trying to listen to somebody speaking and they can't listen to somebody speaking. Mm. So that whole, that whole challenge of we absolutely want to do everything we can to be inclusive of that young person but we've also got all of these other young people that we want to be able to engage properly in, in, in the session. How do we manage that? That's a tough one, isn't it's it? It's a really tricky balance. Um, and it's also a difficult question to answer because yeah. each setting is entirely different yeah. and each scenario is entirely different as well. Um, I think if you're looking at a big kind of group setting you know your your kind of whole church youth group setting or um a youth service maybe whether you know people are speaking from stage that kind of thing you can look at having um one or a number of volunteers that are allocated specifically to support those young people particularly um and and making sure that there's a toolkit available for that support so um kind of at the events where i've coordinated um inclusion support like new wine and spring harvest and so on we've we've actually had an inclusion area within the venue with a team within that area um and a toolkit of of um if you like activities and items that can help the young people to engage and also help to keep them um focused um for a range of reasons again which i won't drill down into because um it could take up a whole separate podcast um but having a toolkit of of items and strategies that you can use to help engage those young people during the times where people need to be quiet because the other young people in the venue are listening and concentrating um, and the speakers also need to be concentrating on what they're doing. Um, again, that comes back to thinking about how you plan your programme from the beginning because if you plan it so that it's more inclusive and, and accessible, yeah. hopefully those young people aren't going to be so disruptive because there's more for them to hook into. Um, I think where you get the problems is if the way that the content and the program is delivered is so inaccessible for them yeah. that, that, that they become disruptive because they, they don't know how to engage with it. So so there's, there's the thinking about the large group context, having maybe one, two, three or more, if you need it, team members who are specifically there for that purpose to engage those young people, um, to be able to prompt them and remind them about what's happening next, to remind them when it's appropriate to be noisy and loud, when it's appropriate to sit quietly and do a quiet activity that doesn't make noise. Um, and again, there's lots of different things I could go into in terms of suggestions for techniques and activities for that. Uh, but perhaps that's something for another time. Um, and then in your small groups where perhaps you're having a small group discussion and you've got a young person that dominates the conversation and only wants to talk about themselves or um, talks continuously while other young people are trying to share that kind of thing. In that kind of setting, you might look at having a one-to-one -one person with them again sitting with them who's able to prompt them and say so and so is talking at the moment so we need to be quiet and listen yeah. it's not your turn to speak at the moment you can have a turn in a minute that yeah. kind of thing also you might have young people who for a range of different reasons but poten potentially their sensory needs um, you might have young people for example on the autism spectrum 
or young people who have sensory processing dis- dis- disorders, um, which means that they need a, like a physical outlet or a sensory outlet to help keep them regulated and, and kind of calm and engaged and focused and concentrated. So building into the programme opportunities where they might need to leave the room and have a bounce around, uh, run around, be noisy, do something physical for a few minutes, which helps to then bring them down and regulate right, them yeah, again. Helpful, yeah. So um, so it might be um, you build into the programme opportunities where if the young people have been sitting for a period of time and concentrating and listening you might then get them up and moving by doing a physical game Mm. or um, you know something that requires them to move about use their body use their muscles that kind of thing Um, it might be if you've just got one particular young person out of the whole group that needs that and the rest of them don't particularly um, you might again look at the one-to-one scenario where their one-to-one person is able to take them quietly out of the room to a place where it's not going to disturb everybody else let them have a bit of a bounce around um, and do what they need to do to meet their sensory needs to help regulate themselves and then bring them back in to re-engage once they've had that kind of time out which enables them then to come and and focus and concentrate again brilliant so so much good stuff in this podcast but i am conscious that we we've only really been able to scratch the surface so Uh, For those listening and thinking this is really helpful, uh, but there's just a bit more I need to find out, what are the avenues that they can access to get some more information and to get some more help with this? Sure. Um, I'm going to plug kind of an umbrella organisation called the Additional Needs Alliance. Um, This is um, like a forum that kind of set up uh, a couple of years ago now um, with a group of like-minded Christians from, from different denominational settings. Uh, who all came together and realised this was a massive, massive area of need in terms of Christian ministry. Um, and the, the kind of the the idea behind it is it's a forum where people can bring their questions, um, share their resources and their ideas, um, and come with their scenarios of, you know, uh, I've got this going on with this young person or this child in my church. I don't know how to work with them can anybody help um and it's it's a group which anybody can join um we we have a a closed facebook group so it is regularly monitored by admins uh you need to request and be approved to join uh but you can find it on face group it's called the additional needs alliance so there's the facebook page and on there you can post your questions you can get ideas for resources and downloads and all sorts of things uh there'll be information about training events conferences all sorts of things on there but they also have a website as well, which is additionalneedsalliance.org.uk. So um, either of those two um, sort of resources are very, very useful for finding out more about specifics. Um, if you have a particular training need for your church, if you want somebody to come to your church and speak to your group, um, perhaps if you're looking for a resource you can use for teaching, um, all sorts of things. You know, there's there's a whole wealth of information and resource there um, that you can tap into. So I would say that's a good starting point. Generally, if you're, you know, if you've got a young person with a specific diagnosis, a specific set of needs, I would say do your research. You know, go online, um, read up on the condition to get some general understanding of how it might affect the young person, and then, as I said, go to their parents their carers their families the people who know them well and get that really detailed personal information about how to support that young person well um and also um feel free to contact me as well 
Brilliant. And how should people do that if um, off the back of this podcast? Okay, well, um, I am on the Additional Needs Alliance. Okay. So if you want to tag me in your question, I am Sarah J. Holmes, Holmes as in Sherlock. <laughs> um, so Sarah with a H, J, and then Holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S. If you tag me in your question uh, on the Facebook group, um, I can come back uh, with, with a response to that as well. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, so go and, go and check that out online and on Facebook. Thank you so much Sarah this has been uh, so helpful I know I'm going to need to listen back to this and make some notes for myself uh, but thank you for joining us today on the Limitless Leadership podcast. thanks Tim thanks for listening to the Limitless Leadership podcast we want to make sure that the Limitless Leadership podcast is tackling the issues that affect you in youth ministry so email us at info at limitlesselam.co.uk to let us know the issues you'd like us to discuss Stay in touch with us on social media. We're at Limitless Elam on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or however you get your podcast. See you next time.